Well, good evening. It's wonderful to see so many of you here this evening. And before our lecturer comes, uh, he will be here any minute now, I imagine. I just wanted to say a few words of sorrow and gratitude for the use of this room in which we are gathered for the last time, unfortunately, for the Prince's in, um, Institute is moving to Shoreditch and Temenos will be, for the time being, homeless, although we shall have, I think, many of our lectures at the Essex Church, with, with which many of us are familiar. But this room has been lent to us all these years by Prince Charles, who invited Temenoth to participate in his work of the Institute of Architecture. And many of us will carry away very happy and rich memories of events in this room, lectures and seminars, wonderful things. The tapes available of, of our lectures, I think there are over 200 now, more, more than 200 available tapes of lectures which we've held here over how many years is it? Eight years. And many of us will be very sad that this will be the last. And that is why on this occasion we have a little refreshment so that we can enjoy. The, I don't know who provided these beautiful uh, Persian, I think. Oh. Oh, was it? Well, they're awfully good. <laughs> really delicious things, yes. And um, really, it's a, it's, it's a lovely thing to have, have uh, ended the series with. And thank you very much for, for that. And we shall remember this room with much affection and I think considerable sorrow that this is our la last evening here. And I think I would like to thank also Prince Charles for having given us his hospitality over these, these years, and indeed given us his support, given Temenos the warm support which we have had from him all these years. And the uh, new issue of Temenos, which will be ready by the end of this month, the third issue of the Temenos Academy Review, has a warm message from Prince Charles to Temenos and really pledging his support for the values for which we stand, which of course are the values for which he stands and which he so openly and courageously speaks to the nation. Some of you may have heard, many of you I hope, his uh, thought for the day on Radio 4 on the 1st of January of this millennial year. 
and it is a wonderful thing to have a prince who supports the sacred values in this secular age. And um, so that is my small message and thought for you this evening. And I'm very happy to yes, find so many of you here, I have many familiar faces, and it, it would be it, always a great number of you come when uh, there is an Islamic lecture, especially for our dear friend Professor Gomshei, who is, I believe, on his way, but <laughs> has not yet arrived. <laughs> but no one yet here? No? <laughs> well, and I will now hand over to Leonard Lewisern, whom you also know, who will be the chairman tonight. Um, if anyone needs chairs, there are chairs in the other room over there, and you can bring them in. Um, just to give you a brief introduction to Dr. Gomshei and his background before he speaks, and he's very sorry for the delay. The traffic in London can be uh, torturous sometimes. Um, from 1981 to 1982, he was the director of the National Library of Iran, studied um, Arabic grammar, logic, jurisprudence, theology at Tehran Seminary School in the 50s and the 60s. There's chairs, there's a chair here that you can go and bring chairs. Yeah, there are plenty of chairs in the other room. You can go and get them, you know. Jane, why don't you bring some chairs in for these, our friends here. Yeah, yeah that's good. Um, and then he got his PhD in Islamic theology and philosophy in 1965 from Tehran University. And he was employed as the official translator in the 60s and the 70s throughout in the Iranian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, specializing in Arabic and English texts. And he now lectures on a part-time, occasional basis at Tehran University and all through Iran, and regularly on television in Iran, where he's very popular. In fact, he has the highest ratings of any program in Iran, higher than films <laughs> or whatever. So um, he's a very popular lecturer in Iran. He's also a prolific author um, and has edited uh, works such as collect his collected articles. Majmoua um, Magulad has sold some 30,000 copies um, and has gone through numerous uh, reprints. Um, he's edited many of the works of Rumi in uh, made small anthologies with very beautiful introductions in Persian. Um, as well as the works of Attar. And his basic emphasis is and has always been on the realm of the imagination uh, and poetry and literature, which uh, is also the focus of the Temenos Academy. And he's been lecturing here at the Temenos since um, 1994. In 1995, he gave a seminar of Ten seminars on the Masnavi of Rumi, which are published as tapes. They're, I think, the best uh, tapes I've ever heard of the Masnavi, of, of interpretation of the Masnavi. And then he gave last year a series of lectures on um, Nizami. So this is his background. And um, 
Tonight he's going to speak about uh, the Quran and Persian literature and basically uh, what I would just like to say as a small just one or two sentences here is that the Quran or, or rather Persian literature functions as a kind of sacred countertext to the Quran. It runs it's, it comes from the same level of inspiration, the same world of inspiration, the same angelic realm, um, and it recreates the ambiance of the Quran in a different language. Um, and just as the esoteric dimension of the Quran is found in Shiism and, and Ismailism and various other traditions, um, Sufi traditions in in Islam, you can also find it in literature. So Persian literature, in a way, is a, is a commentary on the Quran. So I'm sure Dr. Gonshay will tell you much more eloquently than I about all of this. So I'll leave the floor for him. Dr. Gonshay. Please accept my salutations and greetings for this new year and the new spring, which is the salutation of God, in fact. And sorry for delay and for being late. I was caught in some problems beside the traffic. And uh, I can hardly express my feelings, how happy I am to find myself once again in this academy. This is a source of inspiration for me, a source of light, a source of insight, particularly with the presence of Dr. Rain, who gives the feeling of being with God, the presence of God. I am reminded of a verse in the Quran, He is with you wherever you are. And this company of God is every now and then is to be felt in the company of certain lovers of God. Let me see if... Oh, I have left my notes here. Well, it is a cherished tradition among Iranians, both before Islam and after Islam, to open every enterprise of great peace and moment in the name of God. And all Persian poets have observed this rule except Rumi and Hafiz who have replaced it by something even deeper than just mentioning the name of God. Ferdowsi, for example, says You know, this Bismillah Rahman Rahim, which is the opening of all chapters of the Quran means in the name of God, the compassionate, the, the merciful, this has inspired all great poets of Persia to do the same. 
to open their work in praise of God in, and exhort them in praise of God. But Rumi, instead of praising God and instead of remembering the name of God, he has just denied himself and he has actually claimed that it is God speaking to you. So God doesn't mention his own name. When he says, listen to the reed pipe, Vishnu as nay, he actually means I don't exist. So listen to the one who is the, the piper who is blowing in me and he is the one who is composing poems. He is the one who has inspired me. So in fact Rumi has claimed that he is himself uh, the mouthpiece of God. But all other poets have observed the rule like Ferdowsi Benam Khodavand Janu Khirat, Sadi, Avale Daftar Benam Izad Dana, or Benam Khodavand Jan Afarin, Sheikh Mahmud Shabestari, Benam Anki Jan Rafikrata Mukht, in the name of the one who has uh, taught our soul how to think. So, if I could even confine myself to the reflection of this single verse of the Quran in the whole literature, it takes hours and hours of reciting poems in, as a commentary on Bismillah. Because this Bismillah means the name of God, is, has been interpreted by Persian poets first as a key to the treasuries of God. They say Bismillah is a key to the treasuries of wisdom. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim has kilided dar hakim This is by Nizami. That this Bismillah is the key to the treasuries of the great uh, God. And uh, from another point of view, it is a goblet, a goblet of wine. It is a source of intoxication because when you say Bismillah, then this very forgetting of your name, because intoxication, the essence of intoxication is that you forget yourself for a moment. So when you just remember the name of God. As Shakespeare says, all sorrows end. And you are in, beside yourself. So this has been compared to a cup of wine. And uh, another point is that to say Bismillah is to harmonize yourself with the whole nature. Because the whole nature are reciting the name of God in their own language. So when you harmonize yourself with whole nature, with the birds, with the trees, uh, then uh, you are initiated into the, the assembly of all beings 
and then they would talk to you and you can understand being in the name of God. Otherwise, they would hide themselves and they wouldn't show themselves to you. They wouldn't tell you their secrets. Another thing about Bismillah is that when you mention the name of your beloved, it is a sign of love. A lover never mentions his own name. Deny your name. If you ask Majnoon, the famous lover like Juliet, if you ask Majnoon, what is your name? He wouldn't say Majnoon. He would say Layli. He would say, my name is Layli. If you ask Juliet, what is your name? He would say love, not Juliet. As uh, Shakespeare says, deny your name. And then Juliet, uh, uh, sorry, Romeo, Romeo said, deny, say, it said, okay, I would deny myself and I, now you can call me love. The subject of our discussion, discourse tonight is reflection of the Quran in Persian literature. I think that I have to offer all Persian literature to show this reflection because uh, you can hardly find any good literature in Persia which is not a reflection of the Quran. And I doubt if there is un any other single book in the world that has had such great influence on the literature of a nation. Every moment you find that the Quran is present, whether it is prose or poetry, they have been inspired by the beauty of the Quran, by the insights of the Quran, by, as I often say, by the wines, different wines of the Quran, because in the Quran um, there are mention, you find mentions of uh, a, a variety of wines, a variety of wines called Sharab Salsabili, Sharab Zanjibili, Sharab Tahura, means purified wine, all sorts of divine, divine and heavenly wines. So, I have to confine myself, because of the limitation of time, to just an outline of what you can find in the Quran and what is Islam in general, and how Persian literature is the best commentary of the Quran. I believe that not in Persia, but all around the world, the best interpretation and commentary on the scriptures of the world has been done not by scholars, not by theologists, not by theosophists, but by poets. There is close relationship between poetry and prophecy because they are of the same nature. They are of the same nature. They are revelations. They come from God. All great poets have been called a mirror, a universal mirror, in which you can see both the image of yourself, 
and the image of God. Hafiz has been called Lisanul Qayb, the tongue of the unseen. Rumi says, uh, there is someone in my heart who is enforcing his decree upon me that I should compose poems. Otherwise, I wouldn't. And Nizami says, if my, you could say, muse, in English traditions, in European traditions, they call it muse, which is the source of divine inspiration. If my muse is not present, I cannot uh, compose any poetry. And poets have been called prophets, actually, in Persia, as well as in other uh, traditions. For example, Malak Bahar, a very great recent uh, modern poet of Persia, he calls Saadi a great prophet. He says, Rasti daftar Saadi be gulistan manat. In truth, uh, the poetry of Saadi is like a garden. He is truly a prophet, and his works are like the Quran. And any person who would reject him, he is the devil. So, and Rumi has been called a prophet, and his book has been called the Quran of Persia. So there is close relationship between Quran, between the scriptures generally, and poets. So Persian poetry is the best commentary on, on the Quran. It shows both the beauty of the Quran. Quran is um, a treasury of rhythm, of harmony, of symmetry, of uh, proportion, of balance of equilibrium and it has all the artistic elements in it and this is this has been the main source of inspiration as far as formal beauty is concerned and then when you go deeper into the meaning you will still find more and more of this uh, expressions of this symmetry and balance and uh, uh, beauty which uh, at in every verse of the Quran, uh, you will find it. Every verse has the mark of beauty. And that is why it has been called inimitable all through history. Uh, no one has claimed to have created any, anything which is so beautiful and so graceful as the Quran. So, Let's uh, start from Islam, the meaning of Islam, and the role of the Quran, and how this uh, role has been followed by great Persian poets. I wonder if I can use this. Oh, yes. That's okay. Can you see? 
Yes. Submission to the will of God, which is a sign of love between man and God. Because when you submit all your, your desires, when you sacrifice your whole being in the altar of love, then you are a true Muslim. A Muslim is a person who has sacrificed himself for his creator. And he has no desire but the one which has been desired and decreed by him alone. So God, who has been called Hap, or the truth, if you submit yourself to absolute truth, then you are a Muslim. That is why all religions are Islam, because in all religions you are expected to do the same. You have to submit yourself. But this Islam, which is submission to the will of God, will of God, this will, how does it come to us? How can we make sure that this is the will of God? There are different claims. Everybody comes and says, well, God has said this and that and have their own interpretations that you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, this is not the way of life. So how could you be sure that uh, you have received the will of God? The will of God is revealed to two prophets, one prophet within you and one prophet without you. So the prophet without... The, the prophet without and then the prophet within right so this prophet within what is this this is our reason our heart our sense our conscience uh, that is what uh, constantly speaks to us that is constantly make judgment that this is good, this is bad, this is beautiful, this is ugly, this is no good, this is better, this is long, this is, it is not harmonious. You see, it constantly makes judgment in you. This no good smell, it is bad smell, I don't like this, I don't... You see, who is this? This is your heart. Heart doesn't mean, of course, uh, that the, the pumping uh, motor of your life. So this, is, this has been called reason or nature, you can say, our divine nature or heart. This is the most important. You are responsible before your own heart, first of all. And if there is any global ethics to be written is to be based on our heart. Our heart is the most strange thing in the world because uh, your heart has no color, 
no form, not long, not short, but it constantly says, well, this is a little bit too long. That's a little bit too short. When you make up, you say, well, this is a little bit, it should be a little bit darker. It should be a little bit softer. It should be so and so. So what, what does it mean? It means that we know something of everything, that our heart is an as infinite source of knowledge, of divine knowledge. And it is because of this knowledge that we have uh, achieved such great uh, advancement in science, in art, in all fields of life. So this prophet within manifests itself in four realms, in four levels. The animal level, the animal level, like your sense, for example, you say your taste, it gives you the will of God that you shouldn't smell this. This is no good. If you don't follow, then you get headache. This tastes not good. It is bitter. So bitter is no good. But sweet is good because your uh, your body needs it. So, in animal level, in animal level, it uh, makes a distinction between what is healthful and what is injurious. It constantly tells you, and that is why some people believe that if you get ill, you are sinful. You shouldn't get ill because. Um, you are not a Muslim if you don't follow the will of God. The will of God is that you shouldn't eat too much. You shouldn't eat that. You shouldn't eat, uh, drink such and such. So if you don't follow, you are sinful. There is a very interesting story by Samuel Butler, English writer of 19th century. It's called Air One, which, which is the opposite of, uh, I mean, anagram of, of nowhere. It's almost the other way. If you read it, it's almost nowhere. So this is the story of a city where everything is the opposite of the normal in other cities. In this city, if uh, somebody does an um, immoral deed, if he robs, for example, if he is treacherous, then he, they would take him to a hospital and they would give him medicine. But if he is ill and he gets sick, then they would take him to the court and the judge would make a judgment that what have you eaten, what have you taken, and then uh, he is punished. So it simply means that we are expected, if we follow the, the will of God, we shouldn't get sick, we shouldn't get ill. All maladies are a sort of uh, disobedience to the will of God. And here, in, in the realm of science, the distinguish is between uh, what is false and what is true. This is false or true. When you say two and two becomes four, it is true. But if you say two and two is five, it is false. You understand it. If A is 
equal to B and B is equal to C, then A and C are equal. How do you know that? You know it through your heart. So there are certain things that we know in the realm of knowledge. And then it comes to the realm of art. This is science and philosophy. And this is art. In art, you distinguish between ugly and beautiful, whether it is ugly or beautiful. So, this is another distinction. The last one, which is most important, is the distinction between good and evil. This is good, this is right, this is wrong. It is wrong to tell lies. And it is right to tell the truth. So, this is good and evil. Vice and virtue. Virtue and vice. So, this is our prophet within. He gives us information in all fields of life. And if you follow it, we followed this and we became scientists. The first time a student goes to school, he doesn't know anything, but he has his knowledge with him. That uh, on the basis of that inner knowledge, uh, the teacher can uh, build up and make a great scientist out of him. Otherwise, he can do nothing. So here also, it is true that tastes are different, but everybody knows what is beautiful and what is ugly. If you go to a museum, for example, in a far-off country, you will go and enjoy it. They don't know of your taste, but they know that they are sure that if you go to this museum, you would enjoy it. You would, ex you would agree that this is beautiful. So, a beautiful Persian carpet, anywhere in the world, you show it, and nobody say, would say, what is this uh, rubbish, ugly thing you have brought. So, there is a consensus, a universality of aesthetic judgment. There is universality in scientific judgment. That's why you write papers, and you show it to, you present it in international congresses, and you expect people to accept it if your arguments are true, are correctly followed. So here also, there is univer we have universal ethical judgment that all people agree that you have to follow uh, the rules of magnanimity, the rules of uh, morality, and the rules of morality are basically not different in the world. If you just uh, uh, give a piece of paper to everybody in the world, any, in any country, and ask, well, give me the description of a good person, a good wife, a good man. For 99%, it would be all the same anywhere in the world. 
Nobody would say, well, I want a person who tells lies, who breaks his promises. Nobody would say that. So, these are universal everywhere in the world. That's why when we say sweet is good, it is good everywhere in the world. Nobody says, how sour of you to come, how sweet of you to come, because sweet is better. And then bitter is no good. Sour is no good. Salt, you need a little bit, so it is not that much good. Bitter, you don't need at all. So, these are universal judgments of our heart, of our nature, of our reason. Sense of distinction between things. Now, what does this prophet without, like Muhammad, Jesus, and Moses, and the Quran, what do they say? What is the Quran? The Quran is just a reminder of this, amplifier of this, because we forget. He reminds us that you have a commitment with your own heart that you shouldn't uh, uh, oppress people. So why don't you follow it? So there are three, three different mission for the prophet without. One is reminding reminding that is why Quran is called Zikr. means remembrance. The whole Quran is Zikr. Zikr means something that have been told to you. Otherwise, I cannot remind you of something you have never heard of. So, it reminds you of your heart. So, the Quran is actually calling people from negligence to zikr. And another is healing. Sometimes you may have lost these senses, your distinctions. Then you have to be brought back to your normal distinctions. Now let me say what Quran says about this. Quran is a call. Is a call to all humanity that you have to follow your own heart. It is a call from darkness to light. We want to take you out of darkness. Everybody wants to come out of darkness and go to the light. But the devil wants to take you from nur, from light, into darkness. From doubt to certainty. This is most important. Because everybody doubts. We want to be certain. And you can become certain through the heart, not through arguments. No one can convince you of the existence of God through arguments. Because the arguments are always 
subject to some sort of uh, doubting. At least you may say, well, somebody may come, a greater scholar, and would refute him. So it comes finally from the heart. And that is why poets and prophets are most successful, more successful than philosophers. Because they bring you, they don't argue with you, they just give you the certainty. Because what they say comes from the realm of certainty. You know, there is a realm, a realm of certainty. There is a realm of certainty. And the poet and prophet have uh, communication with this source. So, crystallization of their words, the Quran, for example, is crystallized into words, into forms. These forms have the quality of creating certainty in you because they are coming from certainty. When, for example, I say something which is of, of which I am not certain myself, but I want to pretend to, yes, well, I am certain, you will feel it. You will feel that it doesn't come from certainty, it is coming from doubt. It is clear from your behavior, from your look. So, it is a call from doubt to certainty. And the Quran never tries to prove God. It says, shakun. Is there any doubt about God, who, has, who is the creator of the whole world? Is it, uh, can you really demonstrate God while everything is demonstrated by God? <coughs> Nothing can demonstrate God. And uh, Sheikh Mahmoud Shabestari says, how foolish is the person who is trying to show the sun through a candle. He has taken the candle of his reason, the candle of arguments, in order to show the sun, while the sun uh, has given light to whole being. Actually, this Allah is equal to nur, means light. Allah, nur of samawat wal ars. This is one very famous verse in the Quran. So God is the light that has filled the whole uh, universe. So how can you try to uh, prove him? He can prove you. We are all a part of that great uh, grace and uh, bounty of God. So it calls from doubt to certainty. It calls from sorrow to joy. Every, everybody wants to be joyful, to be happy. Happiness is the end of religion. If you are not Happy, you are not a Muslim, you are not a Christian, you, are not, you have no religion at all. Because the source of light, which is happiness, because Noor and Shadi and happiness are the same. So when you have no relationship with Allah or with God, so you cannot be happy, no matter what you have. When you are with him, you are happy. When you are not with him, you are not happy. Whether Rumi says, if you are 
in the bottom of a, of a ditch, in the bottom of a wheel, but you are with God, then you are happy. Because uh, you are related to happiness. So he is calling you from sorrow to joy. And there is a verse in the Quran that Muhammad, or the Prophet in general, uh, he is so merciful that he cannot see you uh, being sorrowful and grieving all the time. So he is calling you to happiness. Why are you grieving so much? Come to me, I will tell you the story of creation. I will save you from distraction and then I will give you true joy, true happiness which would remain for you. Because there are joys that come and go and they are not real joys. But the joy that comes from God is always with you. It saves you from loneliness to company. What most people are trembling at is that they are alone. Everybody feels down deep in his heart that he is alone and nobody is with him because people are selfish and if they are your friend, it's because of they want to get something. They don't want to give something. Islam, or through submission to the will of God, turns into the company because God says God is always with you. So you are never alone. And besides that, he says, uh, all creation is me. Because wherever you turn your face, it is the face of God. Turn this way and turn that way and look at the mountain and look at the clouds and look and listen to, their, to the thunder and look at the lightning and the, and the rain and the snow and everything and the flowers and then you will see God. So you are not alone. You are always with your beloved. So it, it's a source of joy that uh, you are never alone. Uh, Miss, uh, Mrs. Elizabeth Browning says, every night I sleep in the bosom of God. So you can... Uh, and there is a verse in the Quran that whatever you see in the whole world, these are certain uh, miracles and signs of God. They just... Uh, there are... Uh, finger point to God. He is. And everything is a finger point to God. So it also calls you from there are a variety of other uh, expressions uh, from ignorance into knowledge knowledge, and so and so. So, Quran is a call. is a call from multiplicity to unity. Don't see so many things. There are not so many things. There's only one. So, don't beg for mercy. This is a poem by Rumi. Don't beg for mercy from the sword. The sword is beating you don't beg for mercy. Oh, sword, please be merciful at me. 
because it's the swords in the hand of the king. So whatever happens to you through whatever thing is coming from God. So from multiplicity, from many to one, because when you believe in many, you are torn to pieces. And then you get uh, upset. And then it is the source of all psychological uh, abnormal uh, mental diseases. It, they all come from many. One of them is schizophrenia, because you are divided into two, in three, into four, into five. But when you come to believe that there is no many, many is a shadow, the one remains and the many change and pass. So that one, when you find him, you come from many into one. From chaos into cosmos, the Quran turns the chaotic world. If you don't believe in God, then everything is chaotic. There is nothing to, there is no ground for hope for anything. So from chaos, you come to a cosmos. It is a designed world. There is a designer in the world. So there is a design for everything. Whatever happens, there is a design behind it. Like the flowers, like everything. So it is from ugliness, which is chaos again, to beauty. And from self to love. Because the difference between self and love I have often shown like this. This is self. This is self. Because it, it wants everything. It's like a black hole. It wants to devour all. It wants everything to sacrifice for himself. There is a nice story by Rumi that uh, once a young man killed his mother. They blamed him. How did you do that? No one would kill his mother. said, well, my mother did some uh, disgraceful act with someone, so I killed him. And they said, well, you could kill that person. Why did you kill your mother? He said, well, I should kill everybody, uh, one man every day. So I killed my mother so that it would be finished. So Rumi says that mother is the self. It doesn't mean the real mother. It's a symbol. It's the self. For your own self, you are sacrificing everybody. If, what you, if you sacrifice yourself, then you wouldn't sacrifice anyone else. But this is love. It is like a sun. It is giving light to the whole world. So there is so much difference between selfish love, which is no love at all, and true love. A lover, whether it is heavenly love, or secular love, or carnal love, there is no uh, difference. Carnal love, all, of, all sorts of love is good. Even carnal love is good, because it has been designed by God. But when self comes in, then everything is bad. So, the, 
the main role of the prophets, as I said, is one is zikr. The most important is zikr. This reminds you of the theory of Plato, who believed in uh, that knowledge is recollection, is reminding, is recollection, remembering, rather than uh, creating something new in you. So this zikr and this shafa means healing, which is returning to the normal the normal state of your being to get harmonized again to tune you up when you are out of tune is done through seven different ways this call from from uh, these things from many to one from sorrow to joy these calls are done in seven different ways by the Quran as well as by Persian literature. First is by hope and fear. There is so much in the Quran, very fearful description of um, the hell and very enticing descriptions of paradise so that most people are like children. They need to be given some hope and they need to fear something. But if you are a little bit at a higher level, then the second uh, method. There are different methods for different people. They are not all for the same person. Some people come to me and complain about the verses in the Quran that speaks about the raging fire of the hell. And they say, what is that? I say, it's not for you. It is not for you. You don't take care of that. You can, even Rumi says, when God says, well, nobody can come to know me, I am greater than the greatest, and I am subhan, and I, am, I have, I have uh, attributes of ascendance, attributes of uh, transcendence. transcendence, sorry attributes of transcendence it simply means that you are not still uh, initiated you are not a friend so they just trying to drive you away when you are a friend and you come uh, devotedly and with love then God will say well I am I'm at your side I'm not far away so um, there is a verse in the Quran if my uh, servants uh, ever ask you, O oh, Muhammad, where I am, tell them that I am quite near at hand. Actually, in another verse, it says, He is nearer to you than your vein, your own vein. He is the, the nearest to you than anything else, than even yourself. So, the second method this is the first method, which covers a, a good deal of the Quran. The second is a scientific method, the method of reminding people that if A, then B. You are living in a world which is sensitive to your behavior. 
If you tell a lie, something happens. I won't take you to hell because you have lied. But that's the very same lie would take you to hell. So if A, if you do A, then you have to wait for B. That B, if it is no good, it's because of A. Because if you drink, then you, get, you will get intoxicated. Intoxication is not a punishment for, getting, for drinking wine. It is just a consequence. So you cannot... Uh, English people say you can easily shirk your duty, but you can never shirk the consequences of shirking your duty. So here, in many verses in the Quran. Uh, there is reference to this that uh, it is not uh, sorry it's very beautiful rhythmic and uh, forceful vigorous and it creates certainty when you recite the, the verse then your heart uh, concedes to the truth. It says, if you do an atom, a little bit of goodness, then you will see that. And if you do a little bit of badness, you will see that. So, it is not true that foul is fair and fair is foul. Fair is fair and foul is foul. Because... uh, these are the words of those wizards who say fair is foul and foul is fair. Much heresy in the world, heresy and infidelity, is because of despair. Most people, when, are, when they are despaired, when they have no hope to be saved, then they tend towards rejecting all principles and everything in the world and say, foul is fair, fair is foul. So whatever I have done is all right. They want to convince themselves. So three is stories. There are many stories in the Quran. Actually, a major part of the Quran are stories. Stories of past people, stories of prophets, Symbolic stories, parables, even fables, all sorts of uh, allegories. So that's why in Persian literature you also find these stories with their commentary. One of the big services of Persian literature to religion is that they have made everything in religion cash rather than uh, in credit. Because they say... Well, you, if you do this, then in near future, I mean in far future, you will go to paradise. Rumi says, no, it is not true. It is very cash. Just this moment, if you, if you follow me, if you enter the circle of lovers, then you have entered the paradise just now. So they make it cash. And they make it uh, uh, a reality rather than a story. For example, the story of Adam. Adam has a story, but they say that you have to read this story. You are Adam. Everybody is Adam, and everybody is Eve. So you have to read the Quran um, 
as if it has been revealed to you and it is your story. All stories are your story. So you are Adam and if you slip on the way, if you disobe disobey, you will come out, you will be driven out of paradise. But if you repent, then God will accept and will take you back to paradise. So from Adam you have to learn uh, repentance. One of the best qualities of Adam is that when he feels that he has done something wrong, immediately he will say, okay, thank you, I'm sorry, uh, I, would not, I will not do it again. There is a story by Rumi that once Adam saw the devil, Iblis or Satan, and scorned him and looked down at him, suddenly God said, well, Adam, you know Satan? He is a great being. How do you know? How do you dare to scorn him? You don't know him. You don't know the great role he has in creation. So Adam said, well, sorry, I won't scorn him anymore. This is the uh, quality of Adam. So you have to borrow certain qualities from Adam. From Noah. Another prophet who, who built uh, that uh, ship, the, the ark, Noah's ark. So this also is not made into a historical story, but this is your story. Now the world is being flooded. Everybody is getting drowned in the flood, except those who enter the ark. So the ark is the circle of lovers. Lovers of God. If you enter the ship, then you are safe. No matter how much troubles and calamities are in the world. So, Hafez says, Yare mardan khuda bosh, ki dar kishti nu, has khaki ki be abi nakharat tufan ra. And from Abraham, you are Abraham. You first look, there is a verse in the Quran that Abraham looked at the star and first he said, well, this is my God. But when he saw that the star set, he said, well, I don't like it because it sets. And then, so the moon is my God. He was actually going to teach his people. Then he said, after that he said, well, sun is greater, I would... Uh, Worship sun. Sun is my God. But when it set also, he said, well, I'm sorry. I, will, I don't like these things who just perish and set. So Rumi says, be like Abraham and say, I don't like these things that uh, are transient and pass by. But grasp at something which uh, is eternal. So this is the lesson you take from Abraham, the story of Abraham, that Abraham, you are Abraham. You gradually come from the star, which are the senses, to the moon, which is the imagination, and to the sun, which is uh, uh, the reason. 
But beyond all that, you will see they are all transient. But you come to God. Uh, and also you say, This is the best lesson given by Abraham, that these things that uh, perish, I don't like them. Pardon? It, it mean not worship, he doesn't worship them, but he yes. like them. Of course, yeah. you like them, but you don't... Uh, yes, I don't like them. I will later explain that uh, the, the view of the Quran about these secular attachments. Yeah. Actually, let me cite the, um, a verse from the Quran um, that... Uh, there are people, there are people, great people, great men or women who are doing business, who are living in the world, who are doing all sorts of jobs, but they are always with God. They never forget God. So when you are with God, nothing is transient. Even the flower wouldn't perish for you. When you are not with God, then everything is transient. So from David, for example, David is the prophet of love. In fact, David, the word, I, I have heard that in Hebrew, it means love and friendship. Dawood has something to do with friendship and love. So from David, you have to learn 100% love not 99%. That is why he says that you shouldn't uh, consent yourself to have only 99 wives. You have to marry the other one as well to make it 100. So, from Solomon, you have to learn justice. Solomon is in you. You are Solomon. You have to sit on the throne of a spring. The spring is the time of Solomon. So when you are sitting on the throne, all the devils are at your hand, I mean at your bidding. They obey you. All the angels would obey you. All the animals would obey you. So from Solomon you have to learn to be a king. But at the same time Solomon... He used to say, I am poor, and blessed are the poor. Because he said, well, oh, it's true that I am a king, but I am poor before God. He is, he is the king. So he used, Solomon used to say that I am al-fagir and al-miskin. Why? Because he knew that all this kingship had been given to him by God. So in the same way from Joseph who was so beautiful, you have to find your own Joseph. Don't read just the story of past prophets. And some also, uh, Rumi, <coughs> rebukes those people who try to find historical uh, considerations in these prophets. You say, well, you are Joseph just uh, now. And you have, there is a Joseph in you. Don't sell it. Don't throw it. Don't let your brothers put you into the, into the well. 
throw you into the well. And if you come out of this well of the world, the whole world is like a well. You are down deep in the well. And when you come out, you are a Joseph. And everybody is after you. And you will rise from the bottom of the well to the highest heaven. And you will go, you will become the king of Egypt. So this is what uh, in Persian literature they have done through stories. They have uh, given a commentary on every story of the Quran and have given your own share, your own cash benefit from that story rather than just uh, remind you of certain people who used to live in the past. Even Muhammad is you. Even uh, the Gabriel is in, is in you. Even the Satan is in you. The devil is in you. Everything is in man. There is actually no more than two things, God and man. And man is just manifestation of God. God, man, universe. Right? These are the three things that, that trilogy, you know, trinity, the trinity of God, man, and universe. But uh, this is, uh, the, the universe is one mirror and man is another mirror in front of God. So they are the same things. Man is the miniature form and the universe is uh, in detail. The universe is, is the detail of man. So the devil, the Gabriel, the angels, the paradise, even the paradise is, is in you. You will not be thrown into a ditch called hell. Hell is within ourselves. If you, uh, if you drive that hell away, then no one, no one can throw you into the hell. And paradise is in you. Okay. Well, we have run out of our time, and uh, I will just mention, uh, give the list of other methods. Um, the four is this. This is, has not been actually created by God, but by devil. Devil has given us the idea of this as annihilation and non-existence. There is no reference in the Quran that this is annihilation, but every time he mentions this, it means that you are going to your God. It means that you are going to live. It means that you are going to devour this. This is not going to devour you. You are going to devour this. And five is love, and six, there is a verse in the Quran that the best relationship between man and God is the relationship not of a servant to his Lord, but of a lover to his beloved. So you have home where you have Buna. God loves them and they love God. And six is nobility of man. Nobility of man. Uh, this is another way of calling people to uh, morality. That if you make them know how noble they are, know what Shakespeare says, uh, what a piece of work is man, how noble in reason, 
how infinite in faculty, how like an angel in action, in thought, in action, how like a god in comprehension. So when you come to know how noble you are, how, how great you are, then um, you can hardly uh, turn yourself towards any sort of immoral action. It is below your dignity. And the seven is, uh, I will finish it here, the seven is uh, a psychological method of calling that if you do, uh, these are the rituals in Islam like saying prayers or fasting. These rituals actually help you to imitate, at first you imitate something and then through this imitation you have a feeling or a quality and then you do certain actions uh, it needs some explanation we don't have time but uh, I will just give you an example that if you are not happy just imitate that you are happy do that, what you do usually when you are happy dance and whistle and um, smile and then gradually you have a feeling of happiness. And then you start dancing again. So these, uh, if you just uh, get the habit of giving some money to people, helping people, uh, you just imitate your mother, your father, you imitate. And then after a time, you become a generous person. I mean, the feeling and the quality comes in your, into your heart. And then you do it out of your own heart, not out of imitation. I would uh, bring it to an end. I gave, actually, I could hardly give you even a sketch of what I wanted to say. But uh, I would recite a poem by Rumi, returning back to one. Rumi says, musalmanan. What can I do, O Muslims, that I do not recognize myself? I'm neither a Christian, nor a Jew, nor a Zoroastrian. I am neither Nasharqi, I'm neither from East, nor from West, nor from here, nor from there, neither from fire, nor from the elements. Um, um, neither from Balkh nor from Bukhara nor from Ro Rome or any other place I, because I belong to my beloved I am and then he recites the reflection of the Quran in Persian literature I would say and then he would say sorry this is a verse from the Quran he is the first he is the beginning he is the last. He is the apparent. He is uh, what is hidden behind. So whatever is, is God. Whether it is apparent, whether it is hidden, whether it is the beginning or the end. So he says, um, I am neither from this or that, but I belong to uh, my Lord. 
هول اول هول آخر هول ظاهر هول باطن به غیر از هو و اللهو دیگر چیزی نمیدانم So I don't know anything but God So we return to that Bismillah or the name of God Actually it is based on the idea of presence of God in your life This is true Islam and I hope that uh, by reviving the idea or the presence of God in our societies, particularly in this third millennium, uh, more than any time we are in need of becoming aware and conscious of the presence of God. And uh, the literature of God can save us. Um, thank you very much. I'm sorry that uh, I could hardly present what I had in my mind and I am ashamed in front of the beauty of the Quran to have made such a faulty expression of it. Thank you. Um, I, asked, I asked Dr. Gomshi a year and a half ago to give us 10 seminars on the Quran and um, he said, well, I'll give a, a lecture on the Quran and Persian literature. What he has done is given you 10 seminars in one lecture because what he's done is shown you the philosophical basis of Persian literary understanding of the Quran and brought this all into one single meaning. So he himself is Persian literature which has expressed the Quran. At least that's the way I see it. I see him as, a, as someone who has all of Persian literature within him and has done this so eloquently for us and I'm so grateful and I do hope you go on to give some more seminars on on the Quran for the Temenos Academy but in any case I'd like to open the floor for questions um, we have about 10 minutes yes if anyone has any questions for this uh, marvelous lecture yes, yes. Um, you were talking about love yes uh, what about Yes, you know, they are both true. There are apparent uh, inconsistencies in the Quran as well as in literature. Sometimes they say you have to love yourself. If you don't you love yourself, you can't love God. You can't love any other person. That's true. And sometimes they say if you love yourself, how can you love other people? That is true because they are from different two aspects. Yourself, if it is your divine self, it is your Joseph. If you find your Joseph and love him, then you are all right. Because that Joseph is the reflection of the image of God. So the best thing is to love yourself in the best. Love yourself. I want myself to be noble, to be most beautiful, to be lovely, to be loved by all, to have all the virtues, to be happy, to be helpful. So if you love yourself in, in most beautiful a noble way, then it is very good love. Actually, there is a fine story by Rumi that somebody asked some beloved, asked the lover. He wanted to test him. He said, whether, do you love me more or yourself? Do you love me more or yourself? So 
If he would answer, I love myself, then he would be rejected because you are not a lover. If he would say, I love you more, then it means that I am a lover of two. I love myself, and but you love me more. This is no good because you believe in two. But what did he answer? He said, well, I am annihilated in you. So if I say I love myself, it means I love you. If I say I love you, it means I love myself. So it is like, like a, a piece of rock which turns into agate, it turns into diamond by the sun. So if it says that I am the sun, it is true. I love the sun, it's true. If it say I, am, I love myself, it's true. It's good. So when you find that image of God in yourself, and you love yourself, that is uh, to the benefit of yourself and the society. But that selfish love is you are loving that devil who is enticing people and tempting people to ugliness. You know what Oscar Wilde said, I can resist anything but temptation. <laughs> so we have to resist the temptations. Yes? Yes. It is from the tradition of literature, from both sources, from the Quran first. Quran says, Ud o ela sabil rabbik bil hikmati wal mawizat al hasana wa jadilhum bil latihi ahsan. So he, he never says to Muhammad that call people by force. He says, call people either by, by uh, wisdom, some people by wisdom, some by sermons, some by reason. So, I have developed these three from other verses of the Quran as well into those seven ways, but they all come from the Quran. None of them is my own idea. But, uh, you know, for example, terror or assassination, uh, assassination, which is often attributed to Islam, they say they are assassinators, terrorism, has nothing to do with Islam, because in Islam it is expressly said by Muhammad that uh, there is no force in, as regards religion, and... Uh, no one allows, is allowed to uh, kill a person because of his ideas. And uh, even in Persian literature, even Rostam, who is the hero, Rostam, the, the Hercules of Persia, he is going to kill a devil, uh, sorry, a, a demon, a great demon called the White Demon. And he finds him in, in a cave, it is a sleeping. He cries out, he, like a thunder, so that it would uh, awake him and then fights with him. He, even the demon he doesn't kill when it is asleep. So it is the same in the Quran, and there are also traditions by Muhammad that law fatkapil Islam, there is no assassination in Islam. There is no excuse for that. 
So this, uh, this uh, another thing I forgot to say something about is uh, is uh, tolerance. There is so much tolerance in the Quran that it says, "I have created you all in different creeds, nations, and tribes, but the one who is dearest to God is the one who is more virtuous." So it has nothing to do with your religion. Whether you are a Jew or a Christian or whatever religion you have, it has nothing to do with uh, your being nearer to God, except you are more virtuous. So there is not only tolerance in Islam, but also respect and appreciation for the other religions, because it is God's decree that people should be of different religions. It is God's decree. So we not only have to uh, tolerate, but have to respect and to um, appreciate other religions as well. What are you doing? What do you say? What are your prayers? You have to know more about it. And then you will come how near they are to us. Any more question? Yes? Forgiveness. Yes, yes. Actually, he says one of the qualities of God, one of the attributes, of, I mean, qualities of God is that he is most forgiving. And he says that I pardon all sins, even without repentance. This is one of the most uh, uh, jolly of uh, the verses of the Quran. <laughs> if you make a hundred threats to a person, a hundred threats, But one single uh, statement you, you make that all I said, don't take it very seriously. I would pardon all. So whatever you see in the Quran, which is so harsh and threatening, but suddenly you see that God is forgetful, sorry, forgiving, is forgiving of all sins. Yes? Yes. I didn't get you actually, sorry. Oh, yes. It is manifestation of God just in the sense that uh, the music of Mozart is manifestation of God. That the poetry of Rumi is manifestation of God. And everything else in the world is manifestation of God. Because if you accept that there is only one truth, one reality... There is no more than one reality in the whole world. So whatever there is, is the shadow of that one reality. And Shakespeare says that it is very strange that you are one, but millions and billions of strange shadows tend on thee. Because that one thing has only one shadow, but he is one, but he has thousands and thousands of shadows 
each different from the other, but they are all shadows of God. So the Quran is also a manifestation of God, but in a very special sense, that uh, it is so clearly and without any, without any mixture of doubt, without any mixture of, your, of the person's interest. For example, if you are an artist, you have certain intuitions. You get something from God, but it is mixed with yourself. But in the case of uh, Quran, it is pure revelation of God. And that is why it is so beautiful. It's most beautiful. And uh, pe great people like Rumi, who have created so much beauty in the world and so much happiness, they all concede that uh, uh, it is nothing as compared to the Quran in beauty. So it is most beautiful because it's most perfect. That is one perfect thing that uh, Keats says. And there is a verse in the Quran, Wama yantiqu anil He doesn't speak of his own interest. In This is all what has been revealed to him. So Rumi also says that whatever I say, if you say that it's not the words of God, you are infidel. Anyone who would say that these mas this Masnavi is not from God, he is infidel. Because he doesn't know that it is not Rumi speaking, it is true Rumi. So the more you purify yourself, the more you can receive that revelation. It is for all. It is not only for Muhammad, not only for Mozart and Rumi. Every person can receive angels. Angels descend not only on prophets, but on, on ordinary people. If you are virtuous, if you believe in God, and if you are virtuous, then angels come to you and bring you certain inspirations. They bring you art, they bring you knowledge, they bring you uh, poetry, they bring you music. They bring you great uh, scientific ideas. Einstein said, uh, ideas come from God. It is true that we think about it. We think. Uh, Henry Poincaré also has mentioned this. It's true that we think about it. But finally, this is just a preparation for receiving. You receive the idea from God. Not through your own reason. Just like the radio station, you can pick up a channel when you tune into that. Yes. It's finished. Tuning into a radio, you just tune into and just receive the station. Yes, just right. It's like that. That you are a radio uh, receiver and you receive certain waves. I think we're going to have to call it to a close. Um, yes. Thank you so much. It was really, really eloquent and lovely. And we hope That's you come back and elaborate this whole uh, system that you've shown us and yes. give us complete examples of the uh, Persian literature, which is uh, such a beautiful reflection of the Quran. And uh, we hope you come back next year and, and give us some more. I hope so. Thank you. I would be most pleased.